a quick note from Carly before you dive into this episode. Universal Studios Hollywood has introduced a new ticket type that will allow you to pay between $20 to $25 per person to enter Super Nintendo World up to an hour before park opening. This obviously changes your approach and changes the content of this episode. So while we are working hard on updating this episode as we speak, I wanted to warn you in advance if you are listening to this while that process is happening. Thank you so much and on with the show. to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I did just that this weekend. I fueled myself with way too much popcorn while attending, I don't even know how to begin explaining this, but an informal gathering of a bunch of Disney fans that was organized by Richard Kraft. You may remember him from That's From Disneyland, that huge archival sale of his wild, wild Disneyland artifact collection from a few years ago, and it was just the loveliest afternoon spent with a group of mostly strangers who all had a wonderful time together. We all, there must have been maybe 35 or 40 of us, but we all walked down and back up Main Street USA for the entire day, where at every single stop, people would share little known stories and facts in the history of, I'm not kidding you, every section of Main Street. It was a magical hang. It was maybe one of the most unique things I've ever done. And I posted a video of it online, on TikTok and on Instagram, but... It, it was a crew of people, like I said, of some people I knew, like former Imagineer Tom Morris, who I adore, and people I'd never met and had no idea would be there, like uh, directors of classic Disney animated films, okie dokie, and the whole gang of us just spent four hours, I'm not exaggerating, four full hours on Main Street sharing the history of every single ounce of of that space. I've never spent four hours at Disneyland and not gotten past the hub, so it was definitely unique for more reasons than one. I mean, most people there could have shared a handful of facts, but like this was core Disney people. I'm talking deep Disney people, true experts. So I shut my mouth completely and let them talk. And every single stop we went on practically was something I had never, ever heard about Disneyland history before. And I know like, I, I know some stuff, like I'm in this line of work, but it was absolutely fascinating. I mean, you know you're hanging out with the right crowd when you're sent a 460 63-page PDF to download prior to your arrival. Truly, not kidding, 463 pages that you use to follow along at every single location. I don't want to share too much of what I heard because this was an unofficial hang, a casual, slow-moving group tour of friends and strangers. But I did want to mention a few things that I'd never heard before, including that Walt had a private bar in the back of Plaza Inn. Like, if you're near the Little Red Wagon for Corn Dogs and you walk past it, and on your right is the first aid area, on your left, back there, in the back of Plaza Inn was Walt's secret little bar restaurant. I even saw a photo of a group meal there. There was maybe like 15 people at a long table with a young Marty Sklar in the photo, which 
It was absolutely wild. I loved hearing even more details about all the wacky stuff that was on Main Street in its first few years of existence. I got to see some photos of the Wizard of Bras that I'd never seen before, like interior photos of what that space was actually like. Learn more about International Street, which was supposed to run parallel to Main Street USA and sadly never opened. And even heard about a bathing suit shop that I believe was only open for the first year where they would send a model and a bathing suit out on Main Street to woo people into the store. There were so many facts and details that my head is still kind of spinning from them, including a handful of stories I really want to but probably can't repeat. But I am going to dish on one. I learned that Disneyland, the first 50 magical years, that short film made with Steve Martin that played back in 2005, wasn't actually shot on Main Street? That's all I can say. But it was cool, and it was a very special time, and a lovely weekend excursion. Now, we also have to get into a bit of housekeeping and future planning up here. I can't just dish about all the facts I learned. We will be taking next week off and then returning as regularly scheduled the following week on the 25th. I have finalized what the upcoming few months are going to look like before I bow out of society. Uh, Don't worry, the plan is that there will still be little mini episodes in my post-birth absence, but I am thrilled to share that we are going to, I guess you'd say, complete the back half of our guide episodes. We're doing a Tokyo guide, we're doing a Paris guide, and we're doing Universal Studios Hollywood. So enjoy this episode and stick around for in the coming weeks for a even more reliable help in your future fun time trip planning. That said, I am very excited about what's next, which includes this episode and Super Nintendo World. It is opening so very soon at Universal, and that guide will be out around the time the land opens, and I cannot wait to, in a way, welcome you to my city. This really feels like the Olympics of theme parks because it is rare, rare, that Los Angeles gets the next big theme park opening. And here we are, the first Nintendo outpost outside of Japan, in my city. It's very exciting, and I cannot wait to welcome you all in, in a way, both through this episode and when we launch our official Universal Studios Hollywood guide in the coming weeks. I'm going to get into it. I'll stop blabbing. But again, we will not be here next week and then we'll be back to quote unquote normal afterwards. But there is so much more ahead. I'm so excited to share with you. All right. uh, We'll pause for commercial break and then we'll be back with all the Nintendo stuff you need to know. Okay, you know that feeling that everyone knows something that you don't? For me, that used to be Quince, but no more. Quince is a truly astounding retailer, essentially carrying everything a person on your mood board would wear. We're talking washable silk blouses, chic leather bags, 14 karat gold jewelry, European linen dresses, and the best part of all is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're up here with $50 Mongolian cashmere sweaters. $50! Beautiful, timeless items you can wear and actually live in. Meaning, you don't have to be scared to bring them on your theme park travels. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you're sensitive to retailers like I am, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. But it's not just your everyday work-life clothes. They have everything. I recently joined a new gym, big deal for me, and desperately needed new workout clothes to wear there. It's kind of like an LA gym. It's like 
like it kind of got to look cute. So I ordered a pair of their Ultraform bike shorts and high-rise pocket leggings. And when I tell you, the quality of these leggings is truly on par with brands I paid three times as much for, which really kind of makes me love these three times more. I'm not only going to buy them again, but actually buy the other travel stuff in my cart because they have things like beautiful pastel suitcases for 129 bucks and these wildly affordable compression packing cubes that I have been waiting forever to buy compression packing cubes and they're always so pricey and here the price fits. So if you want to get ready for work, your new gym, travel, anything in your life, go to Quince. Quince.com slash amusing will get you free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Ooh, that's nice for someone who puts stuff off like I do. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash amusing to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash amusing. Welcome back to our Super Nintendo World preview episode. This week, we will be discussing Super Nintendo World, the new land opening at Universal Studios Hollywood on February 17th. As you likely know by now, I had the privilege of seeing it firsthand while reporting for Bloomberg a few weeks back. And now that we're in the swing of things and very close to its official opening, I wanted to give you a a firsthand peek inside this entirely themed immersive land that brings to life the Nintendo games and characters you know and love. I usually do a spoiler warning before we get started with episodes like this, but I genuinely don't think you have much to worry about when it comes to this land. For something like Galaxy's Edge, an entirely new place with a ride like Rise of the Resistance that has surprises along the way, I get not wanting to see or know a thing before you enter, if that's your vibe, if you choose. But for Super Nintendo World, it's kind of just a real-world version of the gameplay and characters and scenery you're used to. So... When you think of Super Mario Brothers or Mario Kart or any interaction you've ever had with Mario, Luigi, Toad, and Yoshi in the past, this is just that, but in real life. So not much can really be spoiled, I think. That does apply to almost everything except the attraction inside. Personally, I'd skip any ride-through videos of the Mario Kart ride on YouTube just to make sure the visuals there will be special and a surprise. But for today's episode... I think listening along to this general land discussion will actually aid your experience instead of hinder it. So just kick back, relax, and let's gab about this new video game-inspired expansion. Now, as many of you know, this is not the first ever Super Nintendo World. The original version debuted at Universal Studios Japan in 2021, and it is also going to open in Florida as part of Epic Universe, that massive new theme park scheduled to debut in summer 2025 at Universal Orlando Resort with the rest of everything else there. As I mentioned, the land officially opens here on February 17th, here being California, where I am, and I was given a pretty early preview of Hollywood's version in mid-December. Some other media went a couple days ago, pass holders will be allowed in shortly, but on my visit, we were still able to see the majority of it while it was under final construction. If you saw my Instagram reel or TikTok video from inside the land, you'll see what I mean. Uh, Some of those shots are a little tighter than others for good reason. Let's just say that we had to do some creative cropping (laughs) to make sure uh, no paint buckets or anything were showing. But still, the land itself is locked in place and will be ready to go, which is exciting. It's really nice when these things open on time. Ahem, Tron. (laughs) 
All in all, I spent about an hour, maybe an hour and a half on tour with John Corfino, the vice president at Universal Creative working on the land while inside Super Nintendo World. And I saw everything. So today I'm going to give you the lay of the land, let you know what you can expect to find and see and experience inside. And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, a.k.a what this is realistically going to cost you to visit, how you can even get in the land, and other essential info that you'll want to know before your visit. If you've never visited Universal Studios Hollywood before, basically the park is located at the end of City Walk, not too different from in Orlando. The park itself, though, is basically, and this is the best way I can explain it, it is essentially a two-story mall. (laughs) Because it's kind of situated on a hill and it's like plopped above an actual working studio. It is separated by what they call the upper lot and the lower lot, which are connected by a series of famed escalators as well as elevators. It's a bit odd, but it's also somewhat charming because the lower lot is indeed, like I said, a functioning movie lot. This thing juts up right against literal sound stages where actual things you watch are filmed. It's wild. It's very California. And honestly, I kind of love it for that. Super Nintendo World is located on that lower lot, and you'll know you've made it once you see that colorful Super Nintendo World sign. Or if we're keeping it real here, once you smell the incredibly potent smell coming from the Panda Express next door, because it is delicious smelling. It is so enticing, and I keep wandering in there to get lunch because that smell is so intoxicating, and the line is so long that I ultimately leave because I have absolutely no patience, and I cannot pay that much money theme park prices for fast food. But still, you can smell Panda Express from the Super Nintendo World entrance. You will be drawn towards it, and if you have patience, you will be handsomely rewarded. But anyway, back to business and away from chicken that I'm currently dreaming of. Once you enter through an illuminated warp pipe, you'll emerge into the land through Peach's Castle, an iconic structure that will give you major childhood video game flashbacks if you were an indoor kid like I was, before you can step out into the entirety of the land. Unlike new and similarly immersive lands like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and Wizarding World of Harry Potter, you can essentially see everything upon arrival. The whole lay of the land. There's no trotting your way from an area aligned with the First Order to walk through and find the Resistance outpost. No need to hike through Hogsmeade Village to eventually reach Hogwarts. Super Nintendo World is shaped like a kind of like a bowl. Well, more like a taco salad bowl. It's kind of round, but most importantly, very vertical. So upon first glance, you'll just see little creatures and characters and objects and items moving and grooving all the way up towards the sky as far as your eye can see. The facade isn't entirely single-themed. You'll see homages to different thematic spaces, like you'd see in different levels of video games that Nintendo has done in the past, all the way up this facade. This is the Mushroom Kingdom, and you'll see piranha plants, thwomps, goombas, and if none of that means anything to you, all you need to know is that it's fun and colorful and as lively as could be, all set to a soundtrack of familiar retro Nintendo music. And once this place is up and running, enough coin noises to make it quite casino-esque. What's most noteworthy upon entering, though, is that everything reinforces this colorful, playful, game-like atmosphere. The walkways are so bright and vivid. The rest area, with shade, mind you, is in the center, and it's a bunch of mushrooms. You'll even see lampposts dotted with superstars. That's Nintendo for yellow star emojis with two inviting eyes, which is the best way I can explain it. But 
On your right, once you walk through, will be Princess Peach herself, one of the three fully realized characters who does meet and greets within the land and will talk to you. Will talk to you. None of this one-way conversation with goofy nonsense here, people. As much as I love Goofy, Princess Peach is gonna chit-chat, and I cannot wait to do that. That's what I'm most excited for. Oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. The other main meet and greet is just a few steps away, featuring... Of course, Mario and Luigi. Oh my god, something I cannot wait to do when I return. I'll stress here once again that this was an early visit. We were the first people allowed in to report on this. The vast majority of the land was done, but they were still putting on the final touches when I visited. Still, we got to see a lot. I was able to walk through every single, almost every single space. I explored Bowser's castle. I toured Toad's restaurant. That's that's a tongue twister. And I even got to witness every Goomba and Thwomp bopping around the facade of the land. But to discuss what they actually have inside that's worth doing and planning your trip around, let's start with that main attraction, Mario Kart Bowser's Challenge. We had the opportunity to walk the entire queue for this marquee ride And I'm going to be real with you. I'm going to be honest. This thing was built to hold a lot, 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 lot of people. We're talking like an Avatar Flight of Passage style queue here. So mentally prepare yourself for the long haul. This might be much longer than Flight of Passage now that I think about it. It is, it is a lot. So just, just brace yourself and plan accordingly. (laughs) That said, it is a cute queue. You start in a set of Yoshi's Island-themed spaces, one of which is an indoor kind of moody cave-like area, and another is a two-level outdoor queue with bright pastels and smiling faces that'll really chill you out when you're terrified of how long you might be trapped there. (laughs) Eventually, you'll sneak your way through towards the cool-as-heck part of the line, Bowser's Castle. Yes, the interior of the castle is the queue. By the time you enter, you'll actually be elevated up on the second story of the land, which has a killer view, by the way, and enter right beneath a big Bowser statue that is easily one of the best photo ops in the entire land. From here, you'll move through multiple themed spaces and rooms inside, including Bowser's library. Pro tip, keep an eye out for all of the thematic references in each and every book title, which are pretty funny and a bit of a wink-wink nudge-nudge for Nintendo fans, before eventually making your way to join Team Mario and proceed into two pre-show rooms that explain the ride functionality before you board the attraction. Now, if you're not familiar with Mario Kart, or even this ride, which debuted in Japan, I'm not going to spoil it here, but I also kind of can't. I know I said, don't watch YouTube videos, like, if you want to keep it pure, but still, this is one of those rare rides that doesn't easily translate to a video as a regular coaster might. It is kind of a dark ride, kind of a simulator, and kind of a coronation, one might say, because you will be wearing a form of AR goggles on the attraction that attach to a headpiece, which is not really easy to film through. We were not given an opportunity to ride the ride when we did my tour, unfortunately, and full disclosure, I have since declined the opportunity to ride because of this whole baby on board situation. Listen, am I pumped? Yeah, uh, it is technically the one ride opening I will be missing during this nine-month stretch. I mean, I'm sad about it, but then again, I gotta keep things in perspective. I got to take you all with me on Guardians. I I almost missed that one. 
I live 20 minutes from this ride. I will get on there as soon as I physically can this spring. But sadly, it is one of the first times my current situation has gotten in the way of my reporting and my podcasting. And for that, I am sorry, even if I know a few of you are going to yell at me for apologizing about this. But still, as a Midwesterner, I must. Now, I will likely have someone review the ride for me on the podcast closer to the official opening when I can probably bring a pinch hitter to do my work. But for now, since no one has written it for review in America yet anyway at the time we're recording this, we're just going to put a pin in that. But the ride itself... Personally, I would avoid visuals, but ride-wise, you're not going to have too much ruined until you are physically sitting in that seat. But beyond that attraction, there is so much more to discuss about this land in terms of merchandise, dining, and all the other kinds of gameplay. It's kind of like there's a secondary attraction broken up into bits and split throughout the land that is happening, including a lot of family-friendly gaming elements that you can participate in that I am delighted to explain to you. So the facade of the land that we discussed features a lot of these game elements within it. Those question mark boxes, those piranha plants, things like that. Some of those are locations where you can actively participate with the land and play games. And within those sections, there are ways to rack up coins and perform certain tasks to earn coins. And all of that is tabulated on a power-up band. Now, if you heard the noise cha-ching in your head just now, you are correct. And it's not just because of the coins you will be earning. This is where you're going to be spending some of that souvenir money. A power-up band is a big, bright, chunky, wearable wristband with cartoonishy theming loosely inspired by the main Nintendo characters. And this is going to be the item. We're talking on par with your Wizarding World of Harry Potter wand, your Galaxy's Edge customized droid. This will be the big souvenir purchase that you should be prepared to buy within Super Nintendo World. Only here, these bands and their interaction within the land is kind of their only real purpose. And because of that, they are much more integral to your day spent inside Super Nintendo World than other add-ons I just mentioned. That's because in the main area of the land, just right in the center along the facade, you'll find all of these interactive games called key challenges, for which your power-up band will record your performance. Those key challenges culminate in a big boss challenge with Bowser Jr., which is essentially an interactive game that projects your shadow onto a screen. Now, just from what I've seen online and what I saw in a limited preview that day, the gameplay to me seems a bit juvenile. I'm going to hold back my full opinion until I can get a band of my own to do all of it firsthand. But as an adult, I don't know if the juice would be worth the squeeze for me here on these activities. Again, a real early TBD, and we will cover that more in the future. Essentially, all of this gameplay is another secondary activity offered because there isn't a secondary ride. Japan has a slow-moving Yoshi ride. (laughs) Emphasis on slow-moving. Oh my god. So all of these sort of supplemental game experiences that are enhanced with the wristband are debatably essential to your day in Super Nintendo World, or at least it seems so at this time. This stuff is immensely difficult to explain, especially since I only got to taste a bit of these elements. But again, we will talk about this more when Super Nintendo World opens in full. What you really need to know right now is that this interactivity is core to the land. I mean, if you want to punch a question mark block, it's much more satisfying with these wristbands, especially when that little coin noise emits out of them. The wristbands keep track of your score in tandem with the Universal Studios Hollywood app. They give you a slightly different experience on the ride, but they also do things like allow Mario and Luigi to remark on how many coins you've collected, which is 
pretty freaking cool. Like, I'm sorry, Galaxy's Edge wishes. Essentially, an item like a wand at Wizarding World of Harry Potter just adds an extra layer on your experience in the land, but because of what much of the activity is within the land and how it interacts with your wristband, a power-up band might be something you should plan on buying. And then there is Toadstool's Cafe, the restaurant at Super Nintendo World, and it is cute! There is some Japan park-style interior design aesthetic happening here, and it is fully themed in the way we dream of, from every wood grain element on the wall to warp pipe in the ceiling. It is glorious. It is glorious. I was gleeful walking through here while it was truly a construction zone, and now having seen images from it done, oh my gosh, it, it this is going to be the spot. The full menu has not yet been publicly revealed at the time I'm recording this, but items that have been confirmed previously include a piranha caprese salad, cheesy garlic knots, pesto chicken burger, and a princess peach cupcake. Now, will the food be good? I sadly don't know yet. I have not yet tasted it, and I will be very soon. But it's promising. It's you know, the menu is not as uh, fun and unique as I was hoping for, but I'm hoping the plating and the dishes will have special elements to them, considering how glorious this restaurant space is. So stay tuned. And last but not least, we have the merch. A lot of it is already for sale throughout the park, to be honest. They've been packing the stores in City Walk and in the park for months now with Nintendo merchandise. But I have to say, I went to go see the movie Megan, M3gan, however you choose to pronounce it, a few days ago, and I saw way more people walking around City Walk with the superstar popcorn buckets than I anticipated after I saw that film, especially before the land is even opening. Like many families walking through City Walk on the way back to the parking garage, had these superstar buckets, so they're already a hot ticket item. They are $40 a pop, but for what it's worth, they light up and they they look real good. They look real good, especially at night. We sadly, uh, sadly will not have the popcorn cart they have in Tokyo, which, according to Friend of the Pod, TDR Explorer, serves caramel peach and mushroom cream popcorn. Wow, we really live in an inferior, flavorless town. But they will also have sippers and plush and so much merch that it's kind of overwhelming. I will be keeping my purchases limited to those goofy old puffy hats. They're selling these big old hats. I'm thinking I'm going to go Toad, but I might make a game time decision for something else, maybe Mario. So stay tuned for when I'm there in previews and the opening in the coming weeks for other merchandise favorites and for whatever hat I shove on my head and refuse to take off. (laughs) Also, the merchandise I'm discussing, when you're inside the land, it'll all be for sale at the One Up Factory, which is also the exit for the Mario Kart attraction. So don't worry, you won't miss it. Now to get to the real stuff, the Q&As. I will dive so much deeper into operational details once we're closer to opening, but I wanted to preliminarily give you as much info as possible. And those big questions are going to be, how much is this going to cost me and how am I going to get in? So let's get into all of that right now. Ticket pricing in Universal Studios Hollywood varies by day, but can be as low as $109. Sadly, though, I don't think we're going to be seeing a lot of that 
anytime soon. Because this is such a big deal opening for the park, and again, it's one theme park, there's no sister park, this is the main show. This land opening is affecting ticket prices across the board in a way that a new ride at Disneyland or Disney World really wouldn't. For example, around spring break time, one ticket is going to set you back about $140 a person, which is rough because Universal Studios Hollywood has a good amount of rides, but they're not operating with an excess amount of attractions. It's why if you plan to go to Universal Studios more than once, an annual pass, especially the California resident one, isn't the worst idea, depending on if the dates and the blackout dates work for you. Their lowest tier option is less than two tickets worth of admission, and worth it if you do plan on returning. Now, pass holders get a family and friends discount, and it is a whopping $4 a ticket. (laughs) So uh, sorry I can't help y'all out there. But just remember, everything is always cheaper to buy online in advance than at the booth. So always, always, always buy your stuff for Universal Studios Hollywood before you go. We will dive more into this when I put my Universal Studios Hollywood guide together in the coming weeks. This is just to loosely prepare you and get you ready for anything you're planning, which takes us immediately to the other big question. How the heck do I even get into this place? Starting February 17th, when the park officially opens this land, at the beginning of the day, it is a free-for-all to enter. Anyone can come inside. And once the land hits capacity, that's when you'll need a free timed reservation to enter the land later that day. You can book this timed reservation, again, it's free, either at a kiosk on the lower lot or within the Universal Studios Hollywood app. But the lower lot is a ways away from the main gate. So plan on refreshing the app and booking through there to ensure you can make it in more conveniently. Hi, Future Carly here. In a previous version of this episode, we shared some incorrect information about how to actually get on Mario Kart Bowser's challenge in regards to using Universal Express Pass. This episode has been edited, everything is now correct, but Universal Express Pass, their paid skip-the-line product, will grant you access to many rides and attractions throughout Universal Studios Hollywood, but not Mario Kart Bowser's challenge. As we mentioned, Express Pass will make it easier to get inside the theme park land itself, but you cannot skip the line for the Nintendo attraction with or without Express Pass. That could always change in the future, but at theme park land opening time, that is the current situation. I apologize deeply for my error in the earlier production of this podcast. Let's get back into it. With Express Pass, you are not only given one-time entry to the land at any time of day, anytime you want, whenever you'd like, which is an unbelievable convenience factor when this land opens. Now, the pricing varies by day, and honestly, it seems wackadoo. There is almost no correlation between how much Express Pass costs and how much a regular ticket price is that day. It varied from like $85 more than that day's admission to $125 more than that day's admission. Uh, And it is pricier here than somewhere like Disney and a product like Genie Plus and Lightning Lane. But because of that, less people have it. So it generally works the way you want it to. Since limited quantities of Universal Express tickets are available each day, the park recommends buying this in advance in tandem with your admission. You can do this very easily on the site. It's literally the option under one-day tickets is to buy your one-day ticket with Universal Express. And While they do sell it same day in park if it's available, if you're going during a busy time and you're going specifically to do this, I recommend getting it in advance just to guarantee access to this marquee land opening. 
and everything else, it really makes your day so much easier if you want to do the whole park. Now again, do you need Universal's Express Pass to have a nice day here? Not at all. You can still get into the land. You can still ride the ride, so long as you don't space on getting a reservation if reservations are required. But if you have one day and you want to do Forbidden Journey and you want to do Secret Life of Pets and you can do Jurassic World, it kind of guarantees you can cram it all into one day or at least do your best to try. Now... <laughs> To get back to the money you might spend while you're visiting, on top of Express Pass, on top of that power-up band, on top of the souvenirs that you're going to want, if you're in this land, because remember, you can enter, but you can't freely enter and exit if there are reservations. If you're there to ride the ride and you're going to be in here for a while, it means you're going to get hungry. And so you're very likely going to want to and may have to eat inside the land. Food prices have not yet been released, but they are likely to be on par with other meals throughout the parks. And Harry Potter's prices are pretty aggressive. They go up to $19 per entree, and the entrees aren't necessarily always that much food. Power bands also are going to be tricky to avoid. I anticipate this being a my kids will get them, but I don't need one situation. But it is trickier than just sharing a wand because it is a wearable. Universal are evil geniuses. (laughs) But all in all, you're going to have a great day. You're going to be able to see everything inside the land if you get that reservation, as long as you're on top of your stuff. And if you are at all concerned, do not worry. When this land opens, I will have a guide ready to go for you to help you navigate everything. If you have any other questions about Super Nintendo World, do not hesitate to reach out on the Churros hotline, and I will have them answered in the coming weeks to prepare you for this landmark land opening. Truly, it is so exciting that something this big is opening in California before it opens in Florida, and I cannot wait to share my little hometown park with all of you. If you have any questions, again, any, any, any questions, do not hesitate to ask, and happy gaming! It's Callie Ann from Nashville. I tried to pay a lot of attention to your Instagram stories and see all of the Hanukkah gifts that your husband got you, but I missed a few. So um, I think that as part of whichever week's podcast you can fit it into, you should let us know um, everything that he got you. Thanks. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, I will happily, happily give you a rundown of how Hanukkah went in my house this year. Now, for anyone who didn't see me post online, essentially because I am pregnant and because I am demanding and because my husband basically can't say no to me for a reasonable request at this point, I told him I wanted him to do Hanukkah for me, which means that I wanted to get eight nights of presents like you usually do as a child during Hanukkah. Like you do it while you're I'd say like while you're in school, you'll get eight nights of presents and then your family will be like, we're done here. We're not getting you board games anymore. But I wanted eight nights of presents. I wanted to unwrap a present every single night of Hanukkah. So he went out and he bought a bunch of random stuff, some good, some not so good. 
And I had a little Hanukkah. <laughs> now I was posting a video each night online. I do have all of those in Instagram stories, obviously are gone, but I do, I did also post them to TikTok. So they still live there. If you want to uh, check my TikTok page, I really don't, I don't like spending time on that app, but it really sucks you in. It's so addicting. Anyway, um, I posted all of those, but every day I got something different. And basically all the gifts, this is how we always did Hanukkah in my house. All the gifts would always be on a table. So you could choose based on size, on weight, like, oh, this one looks interesting. It's tiny. What could this be? And so I got to choose every night what I got. Um, night one was maybe the best gift that he gave me. I'll move through this faster, I promise. It was a vintage Disneyland hotel ashtray, which I love. It's kind of this like faded uh, grayish green glass. It's on our coffee table. I love it. It's a perfect addition to the house. However, the other Disney gift he got me was a book about Disneyland facts. I guess um, this wonderful store in Los Angeles called Pygmy Hippo Shop had like a mystery grab bag gift and it was wrapped up and it said something like for a Disney fan. So he's like, that's my wife. And he bought it for me and the book is basically a bunch of stuff I already know. It's like a basically getting a work assignment. So uh, when I unwrapped that, I, I let him know that. And let me let me include one of the reasons we don't really give each other gifts is because I am extremely honest. I am not going to waste any sort of effort lying and pretending like I like something. He is getting an immediate review the moment I open a present. Just a real honest review in real time, which is what I did. Other gifts that I got included these little like French candies, these little organic French candies. Um, some of them are shaped like an Eiffel Tower. That was adorable and delicious. I also sent him some things that I wanted. So I got that ColourPop Muppets makeup collaboration. I got two eyeshadows and a animal lipstick. Um, the eyeshadows are in my makeup drawer. I see them every day and I love them. I'm too scared to use them because I don't want to... The packaging has a little Kermit and a little Fozzie Bear just like bloop, like sticking up on top and I don't want to destroy the packaging so I haven't used them yet. Um, I also got a Hanukkah outfit for an American Girl doll, which I don't have. Mine, I think, is back at my parents' house. But I put it on my stuffed monkey, Walter, and... <laughs> It was uh, one heck of a time. Uh, it's going to be Walter's little outfit going forward every year for Hanukkah. I also got, what else? Stickers, including Peppa Pig 3D stickers, which I love and put around the house, which is very exciting. And I got this book called, I believe it's called How to Find Old Los Angeles. I've bought it multiple times for other people, but I realized I never had a copy of my own. So now I have a copy of my own. And it's all basically all my favorite, cool, kind of weird, random stuff to do in LA. And I'm very happy to own that book. And then I got, what else? Oh, the mug. Oh, uh, so, so uh, there was a diptyque bag which is like a fancy candle brand and you can't burn their candles while you're pregnant. So I told him in advance, like I knew he was going to the mall. I know there's a diptyque there. I know he knows I like that. I was like, don't, don't give me that. Don't give me that. I can't burn it. It's going to be sad. So I was shocked when there was a bag and I opened it and it was one very fancy mug, like the type of mug that you would have a pair of or that you would um, like accidentally chip because it's so fragile and delicate and porcelain and fancy. And I am so stressed out by it. <laughs> I'm so stressed out by it. I've been begging him to let me return it. He's like, just enjoy it. We can just have it in the house. It'll be nice. I can't do it. I can't do it, you guys. I can't do it. It's so fancy and so delicate. And it's like, what? Are we going to hand wash this for the rest of our lives? I rarely drink hot coffee, only when it's like 50 degrees outside. Uh, I, I'm never going to use it. It's just sitting on top of the espresso machine. And it looks very cute, but it's, I figured out how much it was and it's too expensive. 
expensive to have. It's too expensive. I like diner coffee mugs. I like weird vintage old coffee mugs. I like cheap stuff. So uh, it's definitely going back. (laughs) But in general, Hanukkah was great this year and I appreciate you inquiring. You did a real good job. I wonder, I mean, I think I lose all my power once I am no longer pregnant, but I hope I can get more Hanukkah gifts next year. I hope I can just turn this into a tradition where I'm showered with presents and don't have to put any effort in because that's the holiday dream. Thank you so much for calling and happy belated holidays. Hi, Carly. This is Sylvia from Seattle, Washington. I have a bi-coastal question for you. I love all wildlife at both coasts, at the parks. For example, I love the ducks at Disneyland and the geese and the goslings in the spring when they're just running around with their babies. In Florida, I love that white stork-looking bird. Um, there's some really friendly bunnies at Coronado Springs that will just let you be at eye level with them. Um, I kind of love the cicadas, too. They are a little creepy, but they're amazing. So I want to ask you, what's your favorite wildlife? And where do they show up in the park for you? Thanks, Carly. Oh, I've got an answer for you, and I didn't even hesitate. From the moment I first heard what your call was about, I was like, wrap it up, I'm done. I'm done, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And the answer is Disneyland cats. Now, I'm from the Midwest, as you know. I moved to L.A. from New York. I had no idea that local cats running amok at Disneyland Resort was a very normal thing. So imagine how charmed I was to learn over the years that I've lived here. I've lived in LA for maybe six or seven years now. I've learned that not only are there local cats to Disneyland Resort, just like the park or around the hotels even. I've seen them outside Trader Sam's. But more importantly, that cast members and regulars know which cat is which and know their names. Yes, there are cats <laughs> names. There's like a whole lore about these Disneyland cats. It is incredible. I'm obsessed with it. And it, it, it no animal will ever, 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 ever beat Disneyland cats for me. Now, if this is, um, if this is news to you, if you are unfamiliar with this, if you don't believe me, which I understand, why would you, why would you trust some woman's account from seeing random animals just hanging around Trader Sam's, a place known for having strong cocktails? I get it. But just go on Instagram, like pick up your phone, open up Instagram and go to Disneyland Cats and you will see all of them. Um, the most recent post, I'm looking at this beautiful, God, I, I don't I don't know the difference between cats outside of the musical cats, but I feel like this is a tabby cat perhaps. But there is, I remember this from when Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened and I posted a photo of a cat. There is Francisco, who is a very famous cat. And Francisco isn't there anymore. Francisco went to Tricycle D Ranch, someone said. Uh, I think that's what it's called. Uh, Oh, God, what? Now I'm like way, way, way too deep in the Instagram comments. But anyway, Francisco's not there. Yeah, Francisco's at Circle D Ranch. Snickers is this cat in the park. And people see these cats all the time. There are, God, I don't even know how many, but they all have different names and people know them. And it's really, really special. And I love it very much that you can sometimes truly, especially late at night is when I've personally seen them. You can just see cats out and about. Cats out and about, like a cat out in Galaxy's Edge. Isn't that wild? Isn't that absolutely wild? Um, oh, I'm trying to see. There's a photo of one in Galaxy's Edge. I believe this is near Rise of the Resistance, Um, but I don't know which, which cat that is. But anyway, yes, the cats of Disneyland, by far my favorite creatures <laughs> of anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, thank you so much for your call. Oh, I love thinking about Disneyland cats. Those kooky cats. I just love them. That's our show! Thank you all so much for listening this week. If you have any questions about Super Nintendo World or Universal Studios Hollywood itself, please give us a call at 747churros, text us a voice note to 747churros, or email it to 747churros at gmail.com, and we will answer them in our upcoming Universal Studios Hollywood episode. As a reminder, we will be off next week and then back to normal the week after. But why not take next week as an opportunity to maybe listen to an episode you've never listened to? You can find us on every place they have podcasts and if you really like us you can even rate review and follow us on apple or rate and follow us on spotify you can stock up on very amusing merch at very-amusing.com and you can follow me carly wiesel at carly wiesel on twitter and instagram and tiktok you can also join the family at facebook.com slash groups slash carly wiesel this episode was edited delicately by jeff fox thanks so much for listening see you Real soon. Hey, sweetheart. Another fun, great episode. So I have not seen Puss in Boots, the Last Wish movie, but my girlfriends have taken their grandkids, and they say it is so, so wonderful. So I love Antonio Banderas. I love Selma Hayek. And you know what? I'm coming to see you, and maybe we can go see that together. I would love that. And that's going to be in a couple weeks. Yay! Anyway, that also brings up just in time to record. Maybe we could have some fun and do another little session. All right, I'm begging for 10 minutes. That's not so much to ask. I love you! (laughs) So, Carly, I'll see you soon. Yay! I'm very excited. And to everyone who listens to Very Amusing Podcasts, I want to wish you a very happy and a very healthy new year. Be safe out there. And I'll see you in 2023. That is if Carly doesn't fire me for that. Just kidding. I love it here. I want to stay here. I love you, Carly. I love you, Jen Stamos. Bye.